Hello, crime historians, and welcome back to another episode of A Crime Story. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, a graduate student in international relations who lived abroad in France for two years. While abroad, I started hearing all of these insane crime stories that I'd never heard about. As a lifelong true crime addict, coupled with my fascination of how crime affects cultures and alters history, I decided to turn this obsession, research, and stories into a podcast to tell you all about relatively unknown crime stories. At the end of episode 22, I told you I would be covering a case from England for episode 23. I ultimately decided I wanted more time to research the case, so that story will be in a later episode, but don't you worry because today's crime story is out of Poland and it rocked the entire nation and caused the Polish people to question the acts of the police and the Ministry of Justice. Episode 23 covers the disappearance and the subsequent murder of Krzysztof Olivik. This is the crime story of Poland's infamous kidnapping of Krzysztof Olivik. Crime Story Podcast has recently been on the top podcast charts in Poland, and I wanted to cover a story that I know my Polish listeners will enjoy. I came across an article about this case, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It seemed to be an adventure movie plot, and not a true story, but it was. Not many English sources exist for this episode, so most of my information was originally in Polish, which I translated via Google. Regardless of my complete lack of the Polish language, the story needs to be known and told. Poland is a Central European country with a population of just under 38 million people. The Polish Constitution of 1791, the oldest in Europe, in turn incorporated ideals of the American and French revolutions. Poland was heavily damaged during both world wars due to its unique geographical position. With the fall of the Third Reich, Poland effectively lost its independence once again, becoming a communist satellite state of the Soviet Union. Nearly a half a century of totalitarian rule followed, but in the 1970s, a nationwide movement called the Solidarity led to the 1989 fall of the Polish government, which led to Polish democracy. Today, Poland is a member of the EU, NATO, and is the birthplace for former Pope John Paul II. Poland runs on the civil law system and contemporary penal legislation. In the year 2019, just under 800,000 crimes took place in Poland, with the most common crime being pickpocketing. The last recorded murder rate was in 2014 in Poland, and was just 0.0007% of the total population. On the night of October 26 through the 27th, 2001, in Dorbik, Poland, near the city of Plok, 25-year-old Krzysztof Olivnik was having a housewarming party for himself. Now, I couldn't find any information about Krzysztof's life and personality except for the fact that he was his businessman and the son of Lewajdemirz Olivnik, who was a neat industry businessman. Wawaj Demirs was proud of his son in his new house and invited some local police officers to the party. 
The party came to an end around 11 p.m. when the vodka ran out. A policeman later stated that policemen only drink pure vodka because colored alcohol stains uniforms. Now, Kristoff did not drink alcohol, so he did his designated driver duties and drove his drunk comrades home came back to an empty house. That is when gangsters who were watching the home all night across the road ran to the house and tied up Kristoff and grabbed him out of his own home. Two days later, Kristoff's family was contacted about ransom. Now, an important note about kidnapping cases that involve ransom is that they are usually solved and the person is recovered fairly quickly because the kidnapper's only motive is money. And once they get that, then they're fine. Now, Kristoff's kidnapper had some specific instructions about the ransom, which he asked for two days after the kidnapping of 300,000 United States dollars and told his family to not contact the police. Kristoff's family was prepped to pay the ransom, but something happened. Now, it's hard for me to completely understand what went wrong through Google Translate, but according to the one English article I found, it states that the kidnappers repeatedly taunted the Olshnik family. They were extraordinarily brazen, phoning the Olshniks dozens of times and sending letters handwritten by Kristoff. They warned the family repeatedly not to contact the police, but the police were involved from the very beginning. Their phone calls, which featured Kristoff's voice speaking about current news stories, were recorded by police, and then their letters were also examined. But no progress was made in finding Kristoff. But all indications pointed to that Kristoff was still alive. It wasn't until July 24th, 2003, nearly two years after the kidnapping, that 350,000 euros, the kidnappers changed the currency to euros and added 50,000 euros for disobedience, was paid to the kidnappers. The ransom was dropped off under a bridge in Warsaw, and the kidnappers drilled a hole in the ground for the family to drop off the ransom. The Olshevik family was so excited to have finally paid the ransom and have their son back after two years. But Kristoff was not returned home. Now, why did it take so long for Kristoff's family to pay the ransom? Well, because the police were investigating. Yeah, I know you can't see me, but investigating is in quotation marks. The Polish people and criminologists alike have noted that there could have been corruption in this case from the police. Either the police were getting paid off by the kidnappers or they were involved in the kidnapping. Now remember that there were police officers at Krzysztof's party the night he was kidnapped. Now the corruption theory isn't just a theory. There is not some, but I would say a lot of evidence pointing to this. Like a 2004 statement made to the court that the kidnappers used police jargon and terms in their letters that was unusual to be used by the general public. Also, two police officers left the Kristoff case files unattended in an unmarked police car in the center of Warsaw, and when they returned, the car had disappeared along with the files. Now, fortunately, there was a backup of files that was copied and placed in Krakow, but if there wasn't, the files of this case would have been gone forever. Also, is it a coincidence that the ransom was recovered on National Police Day? Now, what might be the craziest part is the police investigation concluded that Kristoff had kidnapped himself. In other words, he staged his own abduction. 
Khrushchev's family adamantly denied this, and the patriarch told the press, why would he do that? There is just no reason. Khrushchev's family was very, very suspicious of the police's investigation. According to a 2011 inquiry about the case and the police handling of it, concluded that the police did not take the proper investigative steps to find Kristoff. Mistakes happened from the get-go, like nothing from the crime scene was sent in for analysis. The police contacted Interpol a year after the abduction. The police did not track the kidnappers' phone numbers. They did not record the phone calls made to the police station and the Oshvidik family home. And when they received an anonymous letter with names of the suspects, they did not investigate. Now, the police weren't doing anything. And for two years, Kristoff was being tortured at God knows where by God knows who. According to the 2011 inquiry, Kristoff during the two years was chained to a wall, beaten regularly, and forced to take psychotropic drugs. And the last two months of his life was in a concrete septic tank. Now, in my research and my non-existent Polish, I'm not exactly sure how the following information was discovered, but on September 5th, 2003, Krzysztof Olfedyk was murdered. Reportedly, the cause of death was suffocation via a plastic bag over his face. On October 28th, 2006, five years and two days after the kidnapping of Krzysztof, his body was found in a forest near Ostrolecka, six feet under, wrapped in wire mesh. On November 4, 2006, Kristoff was properly laid to rest in a Plok cemetery without properly identifying the body as Kristoff's. It was only confirmed to be his body after DNA testing took place in 2010, after his body was exhumed for further testing. So, what the hell happened to Kristoff Ulfenik? The police were obviously complicit in some way to the crime, but the crime was ultimately pinned on a gang by Wojciech Frandowski. Now, Wojciech had a extensive criminal history, mostly for burglary, and was known in prison for being a leader among inmates, and even greeted Pope John Paul II when he visited a Polish prison in 1991. Now, Wojciech was believed to have worked for the feared communist Poland secret police service before the fall of the USSR. This position would have made Wojciech connected, possibly with some post-communism policemen. Though Wojciech was the leader of this gang, he was not the only one arrested for the crime. In fact, 12 people were arrested for some involvement for Krzysztof's murder and abduction and false imprisonment. So happy ending of justice, right? Uh, wrong. Wojciech refused to speak to the police, which is his right, but before his trial began in June 2007, he was found dead by hanging in his cell. Now, Wojciech was supposedly on round-the-clock observation, but his autopsy revealed alcohol and acetaminophen were found in his system, which isn't allowed in prison, but the death was ruled a suicide. Now, two other gang members involved in the crime, 
Swalomir Kuskik and Robert Pazik, who were already convicted for their parts in the crime, were also found dead in their sales under identical circumstances in the following months. Now, these suicides were big news in Poland. Something was definitely off. Now, who provided the inmates with alcohol and acetaminophen? Well, I think that's obvious. The justice minister and several top officials in the Justice Department and prison services were forced to resign because of these suspicions. The remaining defendants were sentenced to terms ranging from one year suspended to 15 years imprisonment, and one of the defendants was acquitted. So what was the motive for these gangsters? It's obvious to me that it wasn't money, or they wouldn't have waited two years for the ransom. Khrushchev's father believes it was so that the criminals could have control over his meat factory. He received several suspicious business proposals in the few years prior to the kidnapping, but turned them down when he found evidence of corruption. Some of the proposals were made by politicians and very high-ranking police officers. One of those police officers was the same officer who supervised the early stages of the investigation, in which so many mistakes were made. The 2011 inquiry noted many mistakes by the Polish police regarding the case. There are honestly too many mistakes for me to name. The one glimmer of hope is that the European Court of Human Rights awarded Krzysztof's Ovovic father and sister 100,000 euros for the errors made in the investigation and sluggishness. It held that the Polish state was responsible for the actions of its officers, but 100,000 euros is nothing compared to what the Olsznik family lost. This completes the 23rd episode of a Crime Story podcast. What do you think of this case? Do you think the police were involved? Do you think the motive was really just a meat factory? You can comment on a Crime Story's Instagram at a Crime Story Pod, where I will be posting images from today's story. You can comment on a Crime Story podcast on Facebook or at a Crime Story Pod on Twitter, or even comment and see additional photos on a Crime Story podcast on YouTube. I am also on TikTok under the name A Crime Story Podcast. My website is acrimestorypodcast.com where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find the show. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you next time on February 10th, 2021, where I will hopefully have completed my research over the English case and can tell you all about it. A Crime Story is created, hosted, researched, written, and edited by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. The artwork for the show is created by Sabrina Smith. Theme music is by Ross Budgen. Additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to Crime Story. Stay safe at home and abroad.